So Wednesday night at church, I'd, I'd told a story about a woman who had a, uh, she has a blog um, that she's on, and it's a, it's a religious blog, it's a Christian blog is what it is, and um, she was on a topic, and the, and the reason I even brought it up on Wednesday night is we had just covered this talk, topic in one of our Wednesday night Bible studies, and the question that she was going to um, talk about was, is it biblical for women to be pastors? And uh, I had mentioned how well she had done explaining. Uh, she had done a, a phenomenal job, and uh, she, she took you all the way back to Genesis and began to talk about uh, how everything had kind of fallen into place. Uh, but she'd done a, a very good job. Uh, but during this this blog, she made a very uh, interesting observation, and she said this. She said, most churches who argue away this line of scripture are the same churches that endorse the homosexual lifestyle and celebrate the transgender movement. She said, think about it. When we are unwilling to recognize God's given gender roles in the church, we are only one step away from allowing gay marriages in our churches. If there are no gender roles, maybe there are no genders. Besides, Paul said, in Christ there are no more male, no more female, in Galatians 3.28. And as I, not long after I'd, I'd heard that, and she talked about churches uh, embracing homosexual lifestyles, I came across an article and I wanted to read this article to you. And the article starts out, It is a blessing from God. I will not let the church or the devil stop my blessings from coming true. Mrs. Terry and I will not tolerate any haters in the church. Pastor William Terry Longstroke II. A report on social media reveals that Pastor William Terry Longstroke II of Atlanta's Little Rock Missionary Church of God caused so much protest and confusion when he announced in church on Sunday that he was expecting a baby with his husband. Mrs. Dante Terry, who he got married to just a month ago. Pastor William Terry said earlier, had earlier announced to his congregation that he was gay. Naturally, this news was met with disapproval and criticism. The church members quoted relevant aspects of the scripture in a bid to change the Pastor Williams' mind, but it was met with blatant refusal. The congregation had no choice than to accept him and continue attending church. According to photos and information, Pastor William Terry is a former military serviceman who was married to a woman and has a grown son. He recently married Mrs. Dante Terry, who he claims to be three months pregnant. He announced, it is a blessing from God. This announcement was met with shock by the congregation, which led to an immediate uproar by members of the church present at the service. However, a member of the church didn't take the news so well. The impact of the news was too much for Fred Johnson, a devoted and longtime member of the church, to bear. 
He reeled and collapsed at the, at the shock and was rushed down to the hospital for medical treatment. Pastor William Terry did not stop at this shocking revelation. He went on to announce that he would not allow anybody, be it the devil or his church members, to prevent his joy and blessings from coming true. The announcement did not go down well with some of the members. As 98 members walked out of the service and vowed not to return until Mrs. Terry proved that he was pregnant. At the exit of the church members, Pastor William got angry and labeled them as haters. He concluded by saying he and Mrs. Terry would not tolerate any haters in his church. Some of the members claimed when Pastor William Terry uh, had earlier revealed to them that he was gay, they did not move to a new church, but rather learned to accept me. However, they claim that this is the straw that broke the camel's back. So if Pastor William is, is unable to provide concrete proof from a gynecologic, gynecologist, they are going to leave Atlanta's Little Rock Missionary Church of God for good. So that was the straw that broke the camel's back. The fact that his husband or his male wife or whatever they're claiming to be was pregnant. That was what caused them to leave the church. Is that was just too much. There was so much wrong with that article, so much wrong in everything that was said. Number one, they've only been married a month, and, and he is three months pregnant. That's beyond all the, the, the homosexual and, and all of that that goes completely against Scripture. And then what about the church who decided to accept it? who decided to allow it, who decided to allow the man who stood behind the pulpit to go completely against the Word of God. What about the church? And that he announced that his male wife was pregnant was too much. That was just too much. You know, I saw over this past week where a pastor of a 52,000-member church and his wife went to a concert that was celebrating Pride Week. The LGBTQ celebration for homosexuality. This pastor of, of this large congregation was asked to, to comment on why he had went to a celebration for, for homosexuals and uh, refused to give any um, explanation, but took time to pose for pictures on the red carpet at this gay celebration. What is going on with our churches today? What is going on with our Christians today, with those who call themselves Christians? I heard a pastor say this week, we must compete for the attention of the lost. They have MTV, video games, extreme sports, and we must compete with that. Where does the Bible say that we must compete with that? 
Where does the Bible say that, that we must become like the world in order to win the world? Show me in the Bible where it says that. Where does God's word say we need to start looking like the world so that we can win the world? Where does it say that? You see, this is the way it works. God calls the lost, they respond to his calling, and they get saved. We don't start looking like the world, we don't start acting like the world, just so we can draw them into the churches. That's not what God has called us to do. Hmm. Did God call our pastors to entertain us? Is that what my calling is, is to bring you in here on any given day and entertain you for an hour so that I can compete with the entertainment that you go to all week long and the things you watch and the things you see? Or is my calling to preach to you the truth of the Word of God? Why do we keep trying to widen the narrow gate? that is talked about in Matthew 7, 13. He said the gate is narrow. And the road is wide that leads to destruction. Why do we keep trying to widen the gate? You see, when we entertain instead of instruct, when we dilute God's word so that it's not so offensive... Even when someone does come to church, they don't feel the draw to conform. They don't feel the draw to change or to become more like Christ because it's already been diluted. They're about as close to those that they go to church with. There's no difference between us. We're all the same. All we did is say something and, and God forgave us of our sins and then we go back out and we live our lives and nothing changes in our lives. Listen, this is not a game. There's a reason that the gate is narrow. It's because it's hard. It's hard. It's difficult. The road is broad that leads to destruction. That's easy. That's crowded. People are just flowing in. You ever been in a wide crowd, in a large crowd, and when they begin to move, you move? That's easy. But the gate is narrow. Listen, don't get me wrong. I like being entertained right along with everybody else. I'm kind of an adrenaline junkie, so I like the, the wild and crazy things. I like all of that stuff. But I don't need that kind of things to, to bring me into church. God should never be in competition for our attention. You see, it should be a no contest. God should always have our best. And today, John is going to use some pretty strong language to warn us to be careful where our love lies. 1 John chapter 2. We'll be reading verses 15 through 17. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 
For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Do not love the world. You see, the, the draw of the world is constant. It's a constant danger in our lives. And many a church member has been seduced for a love that God hates. You see, this was a, a constant problem for Paul. Many times he had those that had begun to follow him and those that, that had been around who had been under his teachings that would begin with get caught up in the love of the world and drawn away. 2 Timothy 1.15, You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among who are Phygelus and Hermogenes. And then again in 2 Timothy 4.10, For Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. James says that Demas is a spiritual adulteress. And then he goes on to say that he's an enemy of God, James 4.4. 4. I was looking at an old Assembly of God directory from 15 or 16 years ago when I attended over there, they had did a, a big directory of everybody in the church, and they had taken all of our pictures and put our phone numbers and our addresses and all of that information on there. And I was just kind of flipping through those pages and looking at all the people that were going to church at that time. And as I began to look at it, it was kind of a sad reminder as I would go from page to page, it would be deceased, deceased, divorced, no longer serving God, deceased, no longer in the church, divorced, divorced, no longer serving God. I was amazed that there were probably more of those inside of this book and at that time, the church was running a couple of hundred people. But most of the people inside of that directory are either deceased or no longer serving God. They were drawn away like Demas. Drawn away by the love of the world. You see, most of these people would probably not categorize themselves as the enemies of God. But that's exactly the language that James used. He said they have become the enemies of God. They were drawn away by the love of the world. You know, we always think about the perfect love of God. I mean, that, that's always on our mind. We always talk about and think about the perfect love of God. But rare, rarely do we consider the perfect hate of God. The perfect hate of God. If he has a perfect love, then he must also have a perfect hate. 
He loves all that is righteous and holy and that all lines up with his will. He loves that. But at the same time, he hates those things that threaten or oppose his will. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16 through 19 says, There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in a community. God's perfect hate. And John says, listen, do not love the world. So what exactly does that cover? What does he mean by do not love the world? Well, it can't be the physical world. It's not talking about the trees and the plants and, and, and the world that, that God created in the beginning. Why? Because Genesis 1.31 says that God saw all that he had made and it was very good. So we know that John's not talking about the physical world. Neither can it be the people. When he talks about not loving the, the people in the world, it can't be that. Chapter 2 and verse 2, John said in, the, in this book here that Jesus did not just come and die for them, but he came and died for the whole world. And the most obvious is John chapter 3 and verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And so he can't be talking about the people of the world. He can't be talking about the physical planet. He can't be talking about the people of the world. So what world is he talking about? He's talking about a world order. He's talking about a way of life. He's talking about an ideology that is governed by Satan, that is controlled by Satan. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 2 says, In which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. And then in John, 1 John chapter 5 and verse 19, it says, We know that we are of God, and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And then Jesus referred to this world in John chapter 15 and verse 18. He says, Listen, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. It's talking about an idea. It's talking about a world that is controlled by Satan. He says we are not to love that world, nor the things in that world. Not only does it hate us, 
But the Bible teaches us that it is at war with us. It hates us and it wars against us. This world wars against us. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 through 5 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ. And then John goes on to say that if anyone loves the world, then the love of the Father is not in him or her. You see, this world system and God are like oil and water. They can't mix. They will not mix. They are unable to mix. You can't love the things of the evil one and then say that you love God also. It's impossible. You cannot serve two masters. We must learn to fight the temptation of worldly priorities and worldly entertainment and worldly riches and worldly lusts. Look at verse 16 again. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. Listen, we're all only one poor decision away from sin. Each and every one of us are one poor decision away from sin. And we are several poor decisions away from a habit of sin. Listen to how Isaiah describes Israel's sin problem in Isaiah 1, 4 through 6. Woe to the sinful nation, a people whose guilt is great, a brood of evildoers, children given to corruption. They have forsaken the Lord. They have spurned the Holy One of Israel and turned their backs on him. They should be beaten. They, why should you be beaten anymore? Why do you persist in rebellion Your whole head is injured, your whole heart afflicted. From the sole of your foot to the top of your head, there is no soundness, only wounds and welts and open sores, not cleansed or bandaged or soothed with olive oil. Listen, sin is hereditary. Sin is hereditary. You know, I remember... When we found out that dad had cancer. And I'll never remember the, the, when I heard him say that the doctors told us that the cancer that he has is hereditary. That means that we have a, a fair chance of getting the same type of cancer because we have his genes. Of course, they told us that if if any of us smoked or drank, that it would increase that, that chance of, of getting that type of cancer. Jeremiah 13 and verse 23 says, Can an Ethiopian change his skin or a leopard its spots? Neither can you do good 
who are accustomed to doing evil. Sin is hereditary. Before you give your life to Christ, you can't help but sin. That's who you are. It's hereditary. It's handed down from your parents to you. You can't do it on your own. We can't cure sin on our own, just like we can't cure cancer on our own. You see, my dad's cancer was hereditary because of his genes. And most of you will never have to worry about the type of cancer that he had. But sin is universal. We all have that gene in our DNA. Psalms chapter 14 and verse 3 says, They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good. No, not even one. And this is the thing. The love of the world can never satisfy. There is nothing in this world that you can love that will ever satisfy that need that you have. And Solomon pegged it in Ecclesiastes chapter 114. I have seen all the works which have been done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and striving after the wind. He said, I've seen it all, I've done it all, I love the things of the world, and everything fell short of what I needed. Nothing met my needs. It was never enough. It was never enough. Jesus taught us that every unregenerate heart is defiled and wicked. Mark chapter 7, verse 14 through 23. And he called the people to him again, and he said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside of a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? Since it enters not into his heart, but into his stomach, and it is expelled. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. It's already in us. It's already in there. It isn't something we have to learn. It isn't something that we're taught. It is already within us. And listen, there is nothing new under the sun. Satan has used these same old tactics from the Garden of Eden. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the lies, and the pride of life. That is how he tempts us. That is how he draws us away. That is how he draws us into the love of the world. 
the love of the flesh. You see, the flesh has natural desires. It has natural needs, things like sex and food and rest. We need fluids. We need excitement. There are certain things that our bodies crave. There are certain things that our bodies desire. But the human heart distorts all of our normal desires. All of those things are normal. All of those desires are normal. But our, our inner self, that inner evil that was into, in us, born in us, will distort that. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. He says, Who can understand it? I remember having a conversation with a young man who claims to be a homosexual. And he told me, he said, I'm right with God. He said, I love God. He said, I go to church. I'm serving God. And I told him, I said, you can't be right with God and live the lifestyle that you're living. He said, my heart tells me I'm good. And I called him by name, and I said, the heart is deceitful above all things. I said, do you really want to trust your heart? I said, you've got to read the Word of God. You've got to understand what the Word of God says, and you've got to live by that. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 through 21 says, The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and all the like. He says, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those who take and distort the natural desires of the flesh, the natural desires that, that are put in us by God, who distort those things and push them to the limit, and, and they become their own gods. When our desire and our need for sexual pleasure takes us outside of, of the description that God has given us inside of the Bible, when the natural desire for food and, and we push that to the limit and take it over, when we become lazy, the Bible teaches us that, that, that our, our body needs rest, but we can take that to an extreme. Our body desires fluids, but we can take in fluids inside of our bodies that will cause our minds to become clogged, to become distorted. And all of these things are natural. But we distort them from our heart. The lust of the eyes. You see, our eyes are a gift from God. They were given to us to see His beauty, to see His creation, to look at all the beauty that is around us. Proverbs twenty twelve says, Ears to hear and eyes to see. Both are a gift from the Lord. But as much as the eyes see the good, they can also let in dissatisfaction.
They can also let in covetousness. They can also let in idolatry. We need to protect and we need to guard our eyes. Job 31.1 says, I have made a covenant with my eyes not to look with lust at a young woman. You see, with the eyes, we become dissatisfied. With the eyes, we become dissatisfied with our spouse. We begin to look at pornography. We begin to look at things we shouldn't be looking at. We begin to look at other women and become dissatisfied with the one we have. We begin to look at others' homes. And we begin to covet their homes. We begin to look at their new vehicles, their new boats. We begin to look at their new toys. And it causes us to begin to covet. We become dissatisfied. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. You see, the pride of life is arrogance. I believe that pride motivates all of the other sins. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, I believe is motivated by the pride of life. It seeks to elevate ourselves above everyone else. And listen, this is, this is not a new tactic. Satan used this from the very beginning. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 through 7. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say that you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the trees of the garden, But God did say, you must not eat from the fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food, the lust of the flesh, and pleasing to the eye, the lust of the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, the pride of life. She took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and they made a covering for themselves. The lust of the flesh, the pride of the, uh, the lust of eyes and the pride of the flesh. There is nothing new under the sun. The same tactic was used against Jesus in Luke chapter 4 in verse 1. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. The lust of the flesh, 
And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up, and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he said to him, To you I will give all of this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours, the lust of the eyes. And Jesus answered him and says, It is written, You shall not worship the you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem. He set him up on a pinnacle of the temple, and he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. The pride of life. And Jesus answered and said, It is. It is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. And then finally, verse 17, And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doth the will of God abideth forever. He says, listen, another reason that we don't love the things of the world is because all of this is temporary all of this is going away all of this is going to be gone one day this and the way this is written it means it is going to disappear and the way it's written it indicates that it the process has already started that the world is beginning to decay, it is beginning to go away. God will destroy this physical universe. Hmm. You see, the world process of self-destruction will not, ex- it will continue to accelerate and to grow. It will become worse and worse throughout the years. 2 Timothy 3.13 says this, but evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. None of this is from God. All of these things that that are, are coming into the church that we as Christians are allowing into our lives, these sins that, that are coming in through these lusts of the flesh, lusts of the eyes and the pride of life, none of this is of God. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life. Don't get caught up in the things of this world. Don't allow them to draw you away. You can't love the things of the world and still have the love of God in you. Do you understand that? Do we understand that? Do we realize that? I see too many people out there who claim to be believers and followers of Jesus Christ, and they have nothing but the world in them. We see it more and more in our churches. There has never been a push that I have ever seen in my lifetime to to allow homosexuality into the church, into the body of Christ. I read an article the other day out of Canada where a pastor was arrested because he preached 
against homosexuality. Folks, that's just across the border. We don't even have a wall there. <laughs> he was arrested for preaching the word of God. And it's getting worse. We have to be different. We as Christians have got to be different. Be careful what you look at. Be careful what your, your, the lust of the flesh causes you to do. Would you stand to your feet? The promise that we have is that when we do that, when we take the love of God into our hearts and not the love of the world, that we will have eternal life. That, my friend, will last forever. Father, we thank you for this word. God, we thank you for the warning that John has given us today. And now I just pray that as believers, God, everyone that is here, I pray that you help us to examine ourselves. Help us to make sure, Father, that the love of the world is not in us. God, that we're not caught up in the things that you call sin. God, that we're controlling what our eyes are looking at. That we're controlling the desires that we have, God, uh, for normal use of the body. And God, that we don't have an arrogance about us. That we think that we are better than anyone. That we desire to be better than anyone. God, I pray that as we go out, that we are a true witness of God. I pray that you silence those, God, that are out preaching a false gospel. God, I pray that you silence those who are being a witness against the word of God in their own churches. God, you didn't call us to entertain, but you called us to bring the truth. God, I thank you for a body that desires the truth of your word and not just to come in, God, to be entertained for just a little while and then go back and live a life that is unpleasing to you. And Father, as we conclude this service, I pray that you keep us safe this next week as we go about our, our um, Independence Day celebrations, God. I pray you keep us safe as we travel and spend time with friends and family. God, I pray that we have times and moments that we can recognize you and, and that we can glorify you in all that we do. And we ask all these things in Jesus' very precious name. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.